Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of Dude, what kind of evil genius comes up with the Jack in the Box? Like, that's some maniacal shit. I don't know. Do you remember that uh, amazing Jonathan sketch where he has the Jack in the Box and it's. And then when it finally pops up, he's got like the suicide note. He's hung himself. Couldn't stand the song anymore. Apparently, it started off as a devil in the box made by a German clockmaker, gifted to one of the princes of the German royal family. It wasn't the same guy who created the puppets from Puppet Master, was it? Uh, no, it was the guy that invented um, puppetry of the penis. Oh. <laughs> and that's what was in the box. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was pre the popcorn trick at the cinema. <laughs> but it got too, too much shushing when he tried to. You want to see what's in my box? Shh. <laughs> Sorry. He's, he's like, he has to keep going because he's not hard yet. He's like, show me some porn. Well, that's what it is inside. It's actually like a couple stroking, of little like... Stroking. It's like a... Like a massager. And that's... The, the, he timed it out perfectly so that the, the full song is what is what. Dear Lord, the, um, <laughs> the guest of our show today is going to be listening to this. What a way to start. I wonder if that's how he got his actors ready. <laughs> But let's, uh, let me jump straight into the introductions. Um, some of you may be long-time listeners, and this might be the first time for some others, but hello and welcome. This is Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by Fakeshemp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and I once ate a KFC Ultimate Box with a guy named Jack. And the co-host is Ben Halwig, who once jacked off in a box. Hey, Ben, how are you? <laughs> I'm almost there, Glenn. Almost there. <laughs> Hey, have you ever had Jack in a Box in America, the fast food joint? I have. The first time I had, I had it. I had it was in um, Anaheim, and this was pre Super Size Me. And Jack in the Box were the only place that made their burgers fresh when you ordered them. And fucking hell, did it taste good! <laughs> like it was the best burger I had on that American trip. Man, I'm hungry, and that was last week's show, the food show. <laughs> I'm too <Yeah>. hungry. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> We didn't really talk enough about fast food last week, really. No, we, we do talk about it quite often throughout the year. Yeah, that is true. And we consume plenty of. <laughs> uh, speaking of consuming food, it is the second week of October. That means we're halfway into Halloween month. And um, we did get a jump on the Halloween stuff two weeks ago when we did our kid-friendly horror movie episode. 
featuring our interview with Ruby Rose. And this week, we're going to jump up a few ratings and talk some more grown-up types of horror movies. Uh, although, tell me that these are not movies that totally appeal to you know, teens and tweens. <laughs> of course, we are talking about evil killer toy movies. To tie it in with Jack in the Box, the new horror movie from Lawrence Fowler. I mean, to be honest, I think if you're over the age of 15, you're probably too old to really enjoy these films. Like that's the, that's the, you have to watch them pre 15 so that when you're like me in your forties, <laughs> you look back on them fondly and go, yeah, that movie was awesome. Cause if you watch them now clean, you like, you question, you question every decision you've ever made in your life. Yeah. Do you ever have that thing where you talk about these type of movies or, you know, some other movies you'd love with people and they just react like, you know, well, they're stupid and you get offended. You're like, hang on, what, what are you yeah. talking about? Look at their face. You're yeah. like, oh, wrong crowd. Tough crowd. This happens with my um, up late videos with Chloe all the time. I mention a movie with so much excitement, and then the reaction I get, I'm like, oh, like I feel offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, look, there's something to be said about someone who doesn't appreciate the genius of uh, Joe Dirt or Hubie <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> I promised her we'd go easy this week. Um, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if you were assigned to come up with a killer toy movie, what what toy would you turn your attention to? Do you reckon? Oh, what toy would I turn? How my about attention? how about Mad Balls? Do you remember them? I I never had a Mad Ball. I do remember them, but I, they were already they were already like horrified. <laughs> I know. Yes, but, and they were turned into a cartoon. But imagine them as a movie. I mean, it'd be pretty pretty freaking good. Or imagine, like, you make a contemporary one, you could take sort of the concept of Joe Dante's Small Soldiers and replace them with pop vinyls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, if you, like like the um, Banana Splits movie, but Punky Brewster, where Punky Brewster kind of meets, I don't want to, because it's the movie I'm going to talk about later, but <laughs> yeah. Punky Brewster, yeah. like, as as the kid in Demonic Toys, <laughs> <laughs> where, uh, you know, her and her demonic uncle Henry. Zombie. He could be a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> Terrorize an apartment block. Uh, it'd be, that'd be what about, yeah, Punky gets stuck in that refrigerator. They don't find her and her corpse comes out many years later. Yeah, that's right. But hang on. But Punky's not a, um, she wasn't a toy. <laughs> no. I mean, there was a, there was a Punky toy, but. Kind of like a, a strawberry shortcake with like a Punky attitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the Care Bears. Yeah. They'll care you to death. <laughs> Oh well. Uh, no, what about the fuzzles? Do you remember the fuzzles? <laughs> I do. Out into a ball. I do. Uh, well, needless to say, lots of fun to be had over the next ninety minutes. So stick around because coming up are a bunch of our fun segments from the gang. In just a minute, Jarrett Garn will be guiding you through the next week of new releases. A bit later, Guillermo Troncoso will have the movie news from Screen Realm. Chloe will be facing one of her biggest fears and Adam is going to be recommending a movie that I may or may not have just referenced. Um, we also do have our interview with Lawrence Fowler, some banger tracks to kick the week off to a right start. And um, I don't know, it um, seems like we talk about childhood toys on the show quite a bit. <laughs> it's like we're upset. It was the wuzzles too, by the way, not the fuzzles, the wuzzles. Well, that makes more sense. <laughs> um, yeah. it's. I mean, can you tell that we're, we're middle-aged and <laughs> obsessed with our youth? I, know. I feel like our generation our generation is the generation that's really obsessed with their youth yeah like it's not and the, i mean like we're actually our our midlife crises are actually affordable like instead of going out and buying a ferrari <laughs> we tend to buy like he-man figures yeah that's oh, right. i remember these these were great or like you know the 10th edition of the star wars special edition on blu-ray or <laughs> 
or K or whatever. That's our um Ninja Turtles. Yep. Ninja Turtles. Do you know I when I was much younger, I was obsessed with pound puppies. And um when I got a bit older it was uh pop balls and jet hoppers. Is pound puppies the one where they scratch behind their ears and they can fly? Is that in the cartoon? Is oh the maybe. Cartoon? The actual pound puppy came in like a little cardboard um kennel. Yeah, I always loved those toys, the toys that came in their own little hat. Like, I mean, I remember being very jealous of my sister's Cabbage Patch kid because it like it came, it came like in a Cabbage Patch and you got like a certificate with its history and stuff. And you're like, oh, He-Man didn't come with any of this stuff. Don't you wish that the um, the Cabbage Pale kids had have come as actual dolls? Yeah. Man, hey, yeah, there's, a, there's a market for that. I'll remove this from the show and we'll brainstorm something, okay? <laughs> we'll buy the license. That's we'll right. <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. Um, now you know a little bit more about Ben and I. <laughs> uh, let's hand it over to Jarrett and um, let's hear what he has to say and then we'll, we'll do some uh, recommending. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, I'm going to start this week's segment with a little news and that is that Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment will release two exciting box sets to 4K Ultra HD on December 8th. I say exciting because personally, I'm super excited about these. The first of which is the Karate Kid Trilogy, right? One, two, and three, all on 4K Ultra HD. Now the first has been released individually prior, but that don't matter because I will rebuy it in order to get two and three. I can only hope that they've got Atmos tracks for two and three like the first. And I'm kind of glad that they include the next Karate kid means i can have the trilogy independent of that fourth film thank you thank you and independent of the remake might i add then the second release coming out from universal sony is a universal monsters 4k collection however it is only featuring four films those films being dracula from 31 frankenstein from 31 invisible man from 33 and the wolfman from 1941 now almost pulled the trigger on getting this from the states but i'm glad i held out and that universal sony will be delivering delivering it locally on 4K Ultra HD. Can't wait to pick that one up. Then moving on to this week's releases. First up from Roadshow, they're releasing a Warner title. It's Space Jam Legacy. It's that long-awaited follow-up to Space Jam that no one seemed to like. I haven't seen it yet. I do want to catch up with it, but I'm not going to blind buy it instantly. I'm going to wait for this thing to go on sale because I've not really heard a kind thing about this film. It's getting released on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD. Now, the 4K and Blu-ray do have special features. They've got four featurettes and deleted scenes, and the 4K has Dolby Atmos. Then moving on to Umbrella, they're releasing a title this week that was bumped from last week, Possession. It's coming out on Blu-ray as part of their Beyond Genres line. It's got an all new 4K restoration and this thing is literally stacked with special features. And of course, it comes with a snazzy little slipcover. Then Eagle have two DVDs coming out this week, Jack in the Box and Beyond the Law. Now, Beyond the Law, you may not have heard of, or you may have heard of, who knows? It's from 2019 and it had been shelved locally, but it's finally being shit out on disc. This one's got Steven Seagal and DMX. That's right, they're reteaming following what, like, 2000 and was it 2003 i can't remember exit wounds it was that long ago i've forgotten um, but they're about as relevant as one another now so they they're getting back together then from madman chopper is finally coming out on blu-ray this had been postponed constantly because the theatrical release kept getting postponed because the lockdowns that cinema release was getting postponed but anyway it's finally coming out this is its debut on blu-ray and I can't wait to pick it up, upgrade the DVD to Blu-ray. Unfortunately, by the looks of it, so far from the press release, 
least I was sent from Madman, they haven't done any new special features for it. It's just porting over the legacy special features from the previous Palace release, being the two commentary tracks, one with the director Andrew Dominic and the other one with Mark Chopper Reed, the five deleted scenes, and the weekend with Chopper Eric Banner meets Mark Chopper Reed featurette. It seems like a missed opportunity given it's its 20th anniversary and they've gone to the effort of doing this all new restoration. Uh, but look, you know, I'm just happy that they have ported those legacy special features over and we're getting, you know, a great presentation of an Australian classic. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. What Jarrett did not say, mate, and you will be excited, is that the first wave of Hallmark Christmas movies are hitting the shelves this week. Fucking awesome. Cooking up Christmas, Four Cousins and a Christmas, The New York Christmas Wedding, a whole bunch more, multi-packs galore. <laughs> are they multi-packs? That's even better. I need to check out who are the faded the faded or not yet stars uh, in them. I am confident we will need to definitely come around and uh, do that Hallmark episode. <laughs> <laughs> we should, that should be our Christmas episode. Oh, gosh, yes. Gosh, yes. Well, um, it's not Christmas. It's Halloween. <laughs> As I said earlier, um, killer toy movies. Let's um, let's face it. This is a genre that's straight, over, straight out of our wheelhouse, mate. It certainly is. Although I've realized that my first film is is deceptively titled, but a fraud. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I guess it, we probably should have just um, called this the, the full moon episode because... <laughs> we made the best killer toy movies. Because aside from one movie on, on, on today's episode, it's all full moon. All full moon. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Band, he, was, he knew a good thing when he saw it. Yes. Um, take it away, mate. What's your first? Well, look, I, my first one uh, is directed by your your hero, Albert Pune, uh, from 1991. It is Dole Man. And it is, although the title does suggest uh, it is a, a killer toy movie, it is in fact not because he is just doll-sized. <laughs> he is not actually a doll. But... Um, it's a pretty awesome movie and it does tie into the, to the movies I'm going to talk about later, which I think I've just given a massive spoiler uh, to, but um, how many movies are you recommended on today's show? Uh, well, th three or two and a half. Okay. Two and a half to three. I thought you were going for like three to three and a half to four. No, <laughs> no, I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far. There was, there's definitely, there was definitely three and a half halves worth. Okay. But like doll man, the, the third one doesn't really fit into the killer toys, although it does, it all ties in together at the end. But um, yeah, Dollman, I don't know if anyone, like Dollman has a couple of, I believe Dollman has a couple of sequels. It's always, I always used to get Dollman as a kid, Dollman mixed up with Future Cop, both uh, kind of full moon, yep. full moon Tim Thomas and vehicles. Future Cop being trances for people overseas Trans listening. Yeah, trances. I mean, Future Cop is so much of a better, much more of a better name. I don't know. I don't, I've never liked the trances. And even when they released it here, Big Sky, I think they called it a trances box set because he was too cheap to, to retitle from the US Masters. Like, <laughs> shit, it's a Future Cop, <laughs> goddammit. Um, but Dollman had one sequel, but um, yeah, go, go on. Uh, so it stars, it stars Tim Thomason as Dollman, and it does, it, he is a cop on a, an alien planet of some sort and the movie is it's very he's doing a very very good clint eastwood impression <laughs> during the whole the whole film uh and he um 
he chases a an intergalactic criminal who's basically who he is tangled with in the past and has basically blown off the the, the rest of this guy's body so all he is is like a floating head <laughs> and the floating head uh, jumps into a spaceship and escapes while being pursued by uh by the doll man well his uh, head kind of becomes a spaceship well yeah it's it gets <laughs> it does get super weird uh but he they basically they hit some kind of interdimensional barrier and end up on earth but when they land on earth instead of being full-sized they're uh six inches tall <laughs> and uh the, the the villain played by frank collinson who's who's totally great as the head he kind of, of course he hooks up with a violent street gang while um Tim Thomason kind of uh, meets uh, Kamala Lopez, who's this uh, like a woman with a kid who lives in a tenement building, uh, who's um, very anti the street gang and anti drugs and stuff. So, of course, there uh, there's a showdown. Of course, Tim Thomason has this awesome kick ass gun that blows full size people away, a la <laughs> a la uh, Dirty Harry's uh, Magnum. Uh, but the uh, the leader of the the uh, the gang is Jackie Earl Haley, a Good Movie Monday favorite. <laughs> uh, this guy, this guy, this guy's career is nothing short of phenomenal. Like from starting off as the as the kind of the pitcher, I think he's the he's the no, he's not the pitcher. He's the he's the batter in yep. Bad News, yep. the uh, yep. Wonderkind uh, batter. Um, to have and he doesn't hasn't really changed his height. Hasn't really. He hasn't got any taller since Bad News Bears. He's just, but somehow he manages to play. I think he's played like he's played monsters, villains, mm-hmm. gang gang members. He's Warshack, Rorschach in uh, Watchmen. Like this guy has had a phenomenal career. He was Shithouse Freddy, and he cut his dick off in Little Children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> It's great, but so yeah, that's what this movie is about. Doll Man, it's pretty cool. He's yeah, he does have the kid, her kid, the um, Kamala Lopez's kid, does think he's a toy, <laughs> and his spaceship is a toy. So it kind of, kind of works out, kind of. Well, needless of. to say, I adore Doll Man. I think the production's really good on this one. I think you know what Albert did with his you know lack of budget and, and managed to get an effective um, size discrepancy thing going on there, like forced perspectives and stuff. Really clever. Yeah, though it really works. Like he, I mean, it's clear. Like some of it, you can see is, is is green screen kind of trickery as well. Like, and it, but it actually it really works. Like yep. it does not. Yep. I've seen far worse, far more recently, <laughs> where technology <laughs> has improved dramatically. And he's like, really not pulling this off. I don't know what it is about the full moon movies that I'm really drawn to. I just, I just, I love their stuff. And the people listening, if you want to dive into them, Tubi has practically all of them. And if not Tubi, then then their streaming service is loaded too. And um, so yeah, on Amazon they have their own. You can subscribe to the Full Moon channel. Yeah, in all of their films. Amazing. So, and and their po- there's something about their posters that appeals to me. Like it's very generic. They all kind of come from the same, you know, printer. <laughs> yeah. But I love them. But he knew what he was doing. Like Charles Band, you know, for all his faults, he is a marketing genius. Yeah, I wanted to talk about him a bit um, later, but let's just keep on the sort of the momentum here because my first one, and I know you're going to talk about these, but, you know, he had gone and made the Puppet Masters and the Demonic Toys movies and then seized the opportunity to capitalise on them. And he's probably made those two movies over 30 times now. And um, the one I'm going to talk about is one called Blood Dolls, which um, is 
fantastic. Made in 1999. He directed it and wrote it. And it's more or less, you know, I guess it's cut from the same cloth as Puppet Master and, and Demonic Toys, but um, they just changed them to Blood Dolls. And all the puppets that they use are practically the same puppets. They've just given them new clothes or a new paint job. You know? <laughs> but it's, um, it's about an eccentric billionaire who is a biological sort of inventor, and he spends his time creating a line of dolls to exact revenge on his behalf of people that have wronged him and the dolls are created by people he's killed and he turns them into dolls and it's really fucking weird um but the funniest thing is that due to like years of physical and psychological abuse from his mother um <laughs> he's for some for some reason he's got a really really tiny head like he's got a head like <laughs> the size of like an orange on a normal body <laughs> he's like a pinhead he is he is like a pinhead and like- Pinhead in pin. I've seen behind the scenes stuff about this movie and that's how Charles Band described him. He said he tried to get some of the human characters in this to look like dolls from Puppet Master. So he's got this villain that looks like Pinhead. He's got a, like a, a manservant with a face painted like the Jack in the Box from, from um, Demonic Toys. And it is just a really batshit crazy movie. And I, I don't know how to describe it other than if you've seen something like Forbidden Zone, you know, the, um, the Richard Elfman movie. Yeah. And it's just surreal and cross that with maybe like wax work or something like that where it's just really really strange stuff all taking place practically in one room funniest thing which i know you would love is that this billionaire he doesn't have a like a stereo system in his house he actually keeps a female rock band in an electrified cage and every time he needs a song played he's got a midget that like prods them with an electric prod turns on the cage and they get electric shocks and they are forced to play something. So the, the billionaire will say track number 10 and they get electrocuted. So they start playing track. number 10. Please tell me that the midget is Phil Fondacaro. It is. Yeah, it is. I love that. <laughs> he's perfect. Like he's perfect in these, in these kind of movies. As if it's not weird enough. Here's something really weird is that the ending of it, um, there's two endings. They shot two endings and they have the guy that plays a jack-in-a-box kind of manservant pops up on the screen and addresses the viewer and just says, you know, um, you know, we have two endings for you. We couldn't decide which one to use. Here they are. And so they present it kind of like Wayne's World did at the end of Wayne's World. Right. And then I was like blown away to find out that Penelope Spheris, who directed Wayne's World, shot the behind-the-scenes documentary for Blood Dolls. Wow. And it's on, the, it's on the streaming service from Full Moon, and it's called Holly Weird. But the thing is, I don't know how Charles Band agreed to it because it's an expose on how he exploits female actresses and things like that. And yet he takes it in his stride. He's in there, you know, he's telling them how he works, and she's asking all the actresses, you know, were you, were you paid for this? And they're like, no. Don't you think you should be paid for this? Yeah. I mean, were you paid more to get your boobs out? Like, no. <laughs> Did he hide it from them? Did he tell them? Like, I'm no, sure no, no. In the, in the script, like, you get your boobs out. No, totally. But um, but she was like trying to get to the bottom of his business model and how he promises money but never pays it and all that kind of stuff. So at this point in the film, they hadn't been paid. I'm pretty sure it was like on a um, what do you call that? A deference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but it's 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 only like a, a a ten minute documentary. But it's fascinating, man. It's. I just I wouldn't have thought that um, I suppose yeah they would be low low enough budget for a deferrals but there's no way if you did a proper accounting of Full Moon those movies hadn't recouped. Oh I know but you you listen to anyone that's worked on a Full Moon production that no longer works on a Full Moon production and they'll tell you they haven't been paid. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm paid. Yeah of course like yeah accounting accounting tricks is 
Like really, the biz- the business of movie making is really the business of dodgy accounting. <laughs> and that's that's from the big studios on down. Well, you know, um, anyway, somebody that we don't pay but certainly does tricks, um, here's Guillermo. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, I'm here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week, movie news-wise. Kicking off with Kira Knightley signing up to star in a true story drama titled Boston Strangler. The film is to be both written and directed by Matt Ruskin, who previously directed 2017 Lakeith Stanfield starring drama Crown Heights and the indie film Booster. Filmmaker Ridley Scott and Kevin Walsh are on board to produce the film, which will find Knightley playing real-life investigative reporter Loretta McLaughlin. Working for Record American during the 1960s, McLaughlin was the first reporter to connect the murders and then break the story of the serial killer, who she and fellow reporter Gene Cole dubbed the Boston Strangler in a four-part story they wrote. While challenging the sexism of the period, McLaughlin and Cole worked hard and put themselves at great risk to report on the serial killer and uncover the corruption that would cast doubt on his identity. Cameras on Boston Strangler will begin rolling in Boston this December. And a Peaky Blinders movie is officially on the way. Peaky Blinders creator and executive producer Stephen Knight confirmed the news, telling Variety that the film will be set in and shot in Birmingham and that, and I quote, it will probably be the sort of the end of the road for Peaky Blinders as we know it. Knight also said that there could be shows related to the Peaky Blinders universe in the works as well, although nothing has been confirmed on that end. Jake Gyllenhaal has signed up to star in a superhero film titled Prophet. The film is going to be directed by Extraction Helmer Sam Hargrave and it's based on an image comic book from Deadpool creator Rob Liefeld. Gyllenhaal will be playing John Prophet, a man who gains superhuman strength after being conscripted by the Germans and subjected to scientific experiments during the Second World War. Writing the comic book adaptation is Mark Duggenheim, known for DC shows Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow. And it star Bill Skarsgård, Aussie actress Samara Weaving, and the Raids Yayan Ruhian are set to star in an action movie set in a dystopian fever dream reality, as it's described, Boy Kills World. Bit of an enticing plot this one, Skarsgård will be playing the protagonist, Boy, a deaf mute with a vibrant imagination. He escapes the jungle after his family is murdered, and then he's trained by a mysterious shaman to become an instrument of death. Ruhian will be playing his mentor, and Weaving will be appearing as an assassin. This will be the directorial debut for German filmmaker Moritz Mohr, and on board to produce is Sam Raimi. That about does it for me, guys. Thanks so much for having me once again. ScreenRealm.com, everybody. Go visit us. Catch you next week. I've got fire. I've got fire.
If you're wondering where you heard that song for before, it's um, it was from the soundtrack to Child's Play, the reboot, and uh, it's called Fire by Part-Time Friends. I kind of like that tune a lot, so good opportunity to play it. And before that, thank you to Guillermo from Screen Round for his update. Head over to ScreenRound.com and uh, be a friend of theirs on their social media pages. Uh, and so the centrepiece for this episode is, of course, the Jack in the Box, a new horror film from director Lawrence Fowler. And it is the first part in his new trilogy. Part two has been completed, but not yet released. And he's going to discuss that in a moment. Uh, so before he made Jack in the Box, he also made a feature film, uh, another Killer Dolls feature film called Curse of the Witch's Doll, which some of you may know the poster of. And uh, so with Jack in the Box dropping onto DVD this week through Eagle Entertainment, I did have a chance to talk to him about the film. And it's a family affair. It's a very interesting chat. Um, but the less I say, the better. I'll let him do all the work. And we'll see you in a minute. Lawrence, how are you, mate? I'm good. Good. How are you? Yeah, doing really well, mate. Hey, this is uh, Jack in the Box. Nightmarish stuff, mate. Can you, just for the benefit of our our listeners, can you give a rundown on what the movie's about? Well, it's about, it takes place in a museum. Um, The staff there, quite curious people. They discover this kind of old, mysterious box in the, the old storeroom. And um, as anyone would, they're quite curious. They, they turn the handle of this jack-in-the-box and uh, unleash a curse. And the idea of the curse is that the demon within the box is released when it's opened and it must claim six victims. So, you know, quite, quite soon, you know, the staff of the museum become the victims and, yeah, hopefully nightmares ensue. And, you know, what, jack-in-the-boxes are pretty freaky things and they do actually have, like, a sinister origin and a history which you kind of explore in the movie. Um, how was the, yeah. the seed of this film planted in your head? Well, we were, you know, we'd made a film called uh, Curse the Witch's Doll um, and the distributors we were working with at the time were quite keen for us to kind of make something that uh, was similar um, with kind of doll themes and we were really keen not to do that <laughs> or at least if we did do that, uh, bring something completely different to the table. So we started looking into different kind of, you know, different forms of doll, and, and this idea of a jack-in-the-box just kind of, uh, kind of came up as, as you know, sort of keeping them happy, but also a case of, uh, of being something completely new. Uh, and although, you know, over time we moved away from them, the, the concept changed completely. Um, looking into the backstory of, um, you know, like you mentioned, the kind of idea of, you know, what is the true origin of the jack-in-the-box? Uh, there's, you know, theories of it starting in, in England where uh, it comes from a story of a, a demon trapped in an old boot. Uh, there's, you know, all these different kind of interesting little legends that uh, we kind of melded, it's all, you know, put all together. And um, yeah, you throw in a little bit of kind of creepy clown subgenre into it as well. And uh, before you know it, you've got kind of a a unique twist on a, on a genre, which we were really excited about. I love how you said that the idea just sort of jumped up. That's quite literal, isn't it? <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yeah. The, the... But, uh, it went through many kind of, um, many, you know, forms, you know, at times we were, you know, it, we were considering whether it was it kind of like a Chucky type thing where the doll itself came to life. I was never a fan of that. I really wanted uh, this, you know, larger than life monster to, to, to come out of this box and, uh, create some terror and I think uh, I'm really pleased with how it all turned out. For sure and I mean yeah the, the jump the jack-in-the-boxes lend themselves to jump scares so it just it feels like a natural kind of thing to to happen in a horror movie and the fact that you bought a demon out of Absolutely. the box is just fantastic um, and, <laughs> and like you said before your, your first movie was Curse of the Witch's Doll and uh, like did you have a natural attraction to demonic doll movies 
before? Yeah, I've, I've always been a fan of, of that particular subgenre. Um, you know, one of my favourite films of the last 10 years is The Boy. And I know not a lot of people like it. And well, some do, some don't. But I love the twist. I love the idea. And um, obviously the Annabelle series. And there's, there's lots of others. But it was just something that, um, you know, when you're an independent filmmaker and you try to break into the industry, it's important that you... you present a concept that has a chance in the marketplace. And, and truth be told, you know, dull movies have a place. So it was kind of a mixture of, okay, that that could get us in, in you know, our foot in the door, but it's also something I'm passionate about. So when you blend the two together, it's, it's a recipe for success. Even though I'm not particularly proud of that film. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask anyone to, to, you know, to go out and find it, but uh, it was a, it was a micro budget family, you know, just, just, just the first film where I learned the hard way, a lot of lessons that we carry on today, but um, Hey, you know, you've all got to start somewhere. Mate, like those first movies are the most important ones. They lay the foundation. Um, but you know, like you mentioned some influences. I want to elaborate that just on that just for a moment, because I personally saw little hints in there of, Hellraiser, a little bit of Phantasm, and even like Relic, you know, there's a bit of that in there. What sort of movies, you know, other than the ones you just described, influenced you when writing it? You know, or did you just try to distance yourself from any kind of influences? It's really difficult. Yeah, I think I think it's important that, um, obviously, as a horror movie fan, you know, you consume a lot of, of, of you know, horror, horror type uh, scenes and, and stories, and, and they all subconsciously kind of, you know, form your ideas of, of stories for yourself and stuff but no there were no particular like there's no certain film like I say oh we're influenced mainly by this uh, we really tried to stay away from you know films like it where you know it's obviously another huge creepy clown uh movie um we just wanted to make sure that if we went into this sort of territory that there weren't direct references to anything specific um but uh, I, I can't honestly answer there was one specific uh inspiration to be honest there were there were so many um, it's just a lifetime of loving horror and uh, all, all coming together. Well, the one thing I do love about a good horror film, and I think the good ones always wear their influences on their sleeve. And I think, you know, fans of the genre will be able to watch your film and spot some that you might not have thought of, you know, like that just sort of seeped in there naturally. So yeah, you know, it, it, that's the fun thing about these films. Um, but in terms of the story, like your character of Casey, like Jesus, man, his backstory is really heavy. <laughs> where, did, where did that come from? <laughs> Poor guy, um, based on my life, no, I'm um, no, it's um, it's difficult. It's come from a number of different places. I, I've always struggled with insomnia, so something um, it's something I can relate to. It's something that I can draw upon. It, it's not particularly nice, but um, I've never quite had it. Obviously, you know, cause quite the issues that Casey has. But I think when you make a horror film like this, and it's obviously Jack is the is the, the poster boy. He's the He's the driving force of why people most many can watch this film. I just think it's sometimes it's quite nice to kind of you know mix that with a story that people can relate to as well, a character going through something tough, uh, and it's also you know a character that is trying to convince people that there's a box with a demon going around killing people is is quite ludicrous. So if you give him something, a character trait that suggests that he may be going crazy, there may be reasons why, uh, at least in other people's eyes in the film you know, reasons not to believe him. I think that that does help. And it's obviously um, giving him this kind of idea of, of insomnia and hallucinations and all these things just make his his claims that little bit less believable for his other staff members. Totally, perfectly said. 
and the film, uh, in addition to yourself, your surname is all over this movie. Can you talk a bit about Fowler Media? It's a, it looks like a family enterprise. It really is. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned with Witches Doll, it, it, we, you know, it, essentially this this business is my four core family members. It's myself, my wife who does the casting. Um, I write direct. My my father is a producer, and you know he's also incredibly um, talented at, at building things. So he built the box. Uh, my mum is did started doing catering on Witches Doll. It wasn't the plan to keep going, but I mean she's, she's a great. She's got a background in in catering, so she's fantastic. <laughs> so we just keep working with them. And before you knew it, you know we we were you know we were trying to, you know we we were originally called Up Notch Productions. We wanted to rebrand it a little bit and. Fowler Media just came out to us because it, it is a it's a core family business and that's something that's fairly rare in sort of independent film I think is is I think a lot of people bring family members in but to honestly have your core business being family based it, it's it's quite nice it's really nice and I think a lot of people that work with us appreciate that and you know we're getting a nice reputation for very friendly sets and very friendly working environments which is great but um yeah, yeah. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, but it no, works for I, us. I think it's fantastic. Like when I was, you know, looking into the film and your story and like it just, yeah, I was really fascinated by it. And it's, 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 a, it's like you said, very unique indeed. And amongst yeah. um, amongst your upcoming projects is a sequel to Jack in the Box, um, which I have, if I have it right, will be the second part of a trilogy. Is is that right? Potentially, yeah. We're, we're, we're thinking of ideas right now. Um, so Jack 2 hasn't been released yet, but it's, as with all these things, it's all dependent on how how well it's received and sell and sold. Um, we've got fingers crossed that it, it does well, and we've got ideas for a third. So yeah, we'd love to make a trilogy. We think there's definitely room to develop this story. In, you know, uh, with every film, the budgets are going up as well, so the quality is increasing. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, exciting times. So fingers crossed for Jack Three. Well, I don't want you to give any spoilers away, so I'm not going to ask that of you. But like, will it be almost anthology style where the box is in a different possession or will it be a continuation directly from the first well we've got we've got ideas for both both of those um i feel it probably be a fresh story where you know with boxes with a different set of people similar to the the, the sequel itself but um yeah we're at that exciting stage where there's no there's no decisions made it's just throwing ideas against the wall and see what sticks so awesome. to be honest it could go anyway we'll just have to see but um no, we'll have to see. Well, I am looking totally forward to that. And uh, look, we've run the clock out, but congratulations on bringing Jack in the Box to life. I can't wait for people to see it. I enjoyed it a lot. Love these kind of independent films. So thanks so much, mate. No, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, Jack in the Box, as I said, out on DVD, well worth a look. And um, for the past few months, um, all of our competitions for the show have been moved over to our website, goodmoviemonday.com. And um, most of the ones that are currently listed are about to expire, if not already. Um, so check back there over the next couple of weeks and you'll see a whole bunch of new competitions. Uh, of course, some of the prizes we have up for grabs are new release movies, tickets to Luna Drive-In, tickets to Palace Cinemas, uh, bottles of exclusive gin from Four Pillars Distillery in Hillsville. And for this week's show only, we are giving away copies of the Jack in the Box, thanks to Eagle Entertainment. To win a copy, send us an email and tell us specifically what toy you would love to see come to life in a horror movie. Send your answers to giveaways at fakeshemp.net. Have some fun with it, and um, perhaps we'll read one or two of them out on the show. Um, but now it's time to throw over to the Boneheads from Kentucky and um, see what they're talking about. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. 
Now, uh, funsies. So no, uh, we agreed, he voted we against agreed. it because it was popular, and we're going and to we agreed on on this episode. James is only going to not is only going to say one movie, not four or five. I'm not going to do a movie. This so time. who's going first? Now, where where are we doing, Chad? Explain this to the folks. So we're since since uh, Glenn is talking about Jack in the Box, I figured we could do a fun size episode about horror movies that involve toys. Yeah. Well, I'll go first because it's a movie that got shit on and it's not really a great film. It came and went and nobody really watched it. And this guy is a close personal friend of Glenn's. They went to school together. But I, I want to talk about James Wan's Dead Silence. It, it's a flawed movie, but it has some genuinely creepy scenes in it. You remember when we saw this gentleman? Yeah. And yeah. with the mm-hmm. dolls. I mean, it it's flawed. It's like it got too cut like there's that there's stuff that's just missing out of it that would have made it flow better i don't know if it just wasn't shot or if they just the studio made him cut more and more but it genuinely has creepy imagery it genuinely has creepy dolls dolls and i I, it's it's flawed but i i enjoy it Uh, i'm gonna go next uh because uh i am always excited when i get to mention a full moon film it is a staple of my childhood so i have to talk about 1992's demonic toys mm. featuring uh tracy scoggins uh this was actually written by charlie band and one david s goyer um i think it this is about, his first screenplay i think he got ten thousand dollars for that movie i think you're right first um, screenplay it uh it involves a pregnant policewoman her query quarry and an innocent delivery boy become trapped in a haunted toy warehouse and it's and it's a it's a demonic bear a jack-in-the-box fitting um, a tall, a doll and a killer robot toy that just are terrorizing these people, trying to kill them uh, in the most hysterical ways possible. Highly recommend Demonic Toys. And if you want to follow up to Demonic Toys, highly check out Doll Man versus Demonic Toys. Oh, yeah. You got to so, do Doll Man. Yeah, you got to do Doll Man with Tim Thomerson. Tim Thomerson, who was a stand-up comedian, and no one remembers that. Nope. James, what so were you So real do? quick, I didn't want to talk about a film. I thought we need to talk about a, a, so maybe you like toys and you're thinking they've all been used in horror nope, films. I don't I've like got toys. one never, for you. Never played. Never nobody has it. used, made this film yet. Picture it. Dark scene. Somebody's in bed. They start to feel, you see the, the bed move slightly. All of a sudden they move and there's a horse's head in the bed, but there's a stick attached to it. This, this is called fall, the Godfather. Bonehead presents hobby horse. <laughs> Cut it, Joe, right there. I can tell you uh, right now, James would most definitely have won our giveaway. <laughs> Hobby horse, I'll buy that. <laughs> and there goes Chad trying to steal your thunder, mate, um, with demonic toys. But um, well, I, haven't, I, I haven't haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> hence, hence stealing your thunder. But he's totally done it. Done it again. <laughs> he's not as good as this as you are, mate. Well, he's he only has two minutes. I get to I get a I get a full fifteen to stumble through my. Uh, <laughs> Synopsis. Uh, well, shout out to our amigos from across the pond. Subscribe to Bonehead Weekly wherever you get your podcast from. And speaking of a greater franchise, um, would you care to continue? Well, yeah. I mean, the cat's out of the bag now, but I am going to be talking about Demonic Toys from 1992, directed by Peter Mangu- Manguian, who also directed uh, Classics Arena. <laughs> Have you seen Arena? That's no. a fucking... The original one, not the, there's a shitty... Like relatively recently, re, relatively recent remake, which is horrifying with I think like Channing Tatum, 
but um, the original is is awesome. Uh, Eliminators, which they shamelessly ripped off in Manborg, and uh-huh. uh, another Charles uh, Band. Another, these are all Charles Band. Seed People, yep. which I think I've talked yep. about on the show, which is a Invasion of the Body Snatchers ripoff, which is great. All the aliens uh, uh, roll down like they they turn into giant boulders and roll down hills, <laughs> catch people, and uh, Devil Dolls. But Demonic Toys, it stars uh, Tracy Scoggins uh, as a cop who, at the start of the movie, uh, her and her partner slash boyfriend are uh, on like this kind of illegal arms bust. And they meet up with these two psychopaths outside of a, uh, an, a not an abandoned, a uh, seldom used toy factory. Uh, and uh, of course, when they reveal the fact that they're uh, cops, uh, a shootout in shoes and her partner is killed uh but she's oh and but <laughs> i haven't mentioned this but just before the bust she tells her partner slash boyfriend that she's up the duff and that uh that's an important uh important little factor that will come into play later um but there's a shootout the boyfriend gets killed and so do one of the thug and the two thugs kind of escape into the toy factory and one of them one of them has already been shot and uh, actually ends up being killed. Like his blood awakens a demonic presence that has been buried under the toy factory <laughs> and uh, possesses the toys and they, uh, they kill him. And it, I think there's a, there's a Jack in the box with a, like an evil clown face. There's a, a robot that shoots lasers. There's a baby, do- a potty mouth baby doll <laughs> toy. Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any others. So it's clearly a, this is very, very clearly a puppet master ripoff. It's good to see that Charles Band's actually ripping off his own intellectual property in this one. Well, that's what I was getting at before with Blood Dolls is that once he realized these movies make him money, he just replicated them over and over and over. Yeah, he certainly did. And of course, then the um, as it turns out, the the demonic presence wants uh, to uh, reincarnate himself in the in the body of uh, Tracy Scoggins' unborn baby. Uh, but of course, he also wants to bang her, which is a very weird <laughs> kind of uh, opedal or uh, kind of subplot there. But um, yeah, it is <laughs> it is pretty cool. Uh, and there's a lot there's a lot of swearing. There's some there is some uh, uh, incredibly gratuitous nudity, <laughs> not from Tracy's Goggins, unfortunately. But um, you know the demon the demon. Uh, can read minds and can conjure anything that you think of. And of course the there's as, as there are in all of these films, I think, I think from doll man on down, I think there is, there's always a fat, uh, disgusting coarse security guard in the movie somewhere. Yep. And of course the fat gross security guard in demonic toys. Uh, <laughs> it's great. He's like obsessed with playboy magazine and he orders he orders uh, fried chicken from the, the place down the road. And when the delivery guy gets there, he's like, hey, have you seen this issue yet? Look at, check out Miss July. <laughs> and of course, of course, the devil conjures Miss July, who uh, entices the fat security guy. And that's the big problem I have with all these films is that there's no, you, why do people believe these things are real? <laughs> like, why does this security guard believe suddenly Miss July has appeared in his warehouse and is beckoning him beckoning beckoning him, this fat gross old guy over for sex like it doesn't make, it doesn't you know it doesn't make sense what they're thinking kind of thing and then later on when the um when the demon is is kind of torturing tracy scoggins he 
takes the form of her dead boyfriend. Now she knows he's dead, but and she's constantly she cries out, "Oh, Charlie, or whatever his name is," and this guy, like you know, hang you on, know hang on, back it up. You say all this, but you, the movie is demonic toys. <laughs> yeah, no, the, yeah, which yeah. <laughs> I understand. I understand what I'm saying. <laughs> the ridiculousness of my argument here. Well, can I can I add though that just like Dollman, I think this particular installment has a very good production design, and it kind of it knows exactly what it is. Like the other ones after it, you know, they the the quality is less and the lap. But this one, I think, is actually on the money. Yeah, look, the um, the the toys are great. Mm-hmm. Like the toys yeah. are actually, I think, the toys in Demonic Toys are better quality. Yeah. toys yeah. than the toys in puppet master like yeah. the they have they have a lot more personality and that is the big difference between this and puppet master in puppet master the toys are just a re are just animated toys like they are always just dolls under the command of like somebody um yeah of the the doctor whose name i can never remember Tallin. uh yeah whereas in demonic toys all the toys have like separate personalities and they're seemingly as the series progresses their own agendas that don't necessarily gel with the uh, yeah with like, the agenda of the of the of the demon that they serve baby oopsie is their mastermind and that is hilarious yeah. well baby oopsie well in the in in the, the movie i'm going to talk about briefly next uh old man versus demonic toys baby oopsie is the is the mastermind she's replaced but in the first one it's a this is the great thing about the, the climax of demonic toys because the, the demon takes the shape of a child because the whole it, it's throughout the whole movie it's this kid torturing these people with the aid of his toy minions we, i guess that is supposed to explain why he's using toys uh, because he's a kid but then tra- the spirit of tracy scoggins unborn child uh possesses a toy soldier like like but not like a modern day gi joe type toy soldier like a mary poppins era you know <laughs> british wooden toy soldier and uh you know and yeah. they have they have a fight it's like it's one of the more one of the more ridiculous things in a already ridiculous movie well possibly the uh, the best um, piece of trivia about both Dollman and Demonic Toys is they were written by David S. Goya, who went on to do Batman Begins and Dark Knight and, you know, countless other movies, like big movies. Yeah. I do love the fact that he also wrote um, Kickboxer 2. That's where he got his start. Uh, Mango, Manguian. Mangu, Mang... Yeah. What? <laughs> Sorry, I... <laughs> Did, did you have a stroke? Yeah, <laughs> a stroke. I missed the part that what you, I missed your your the opening sentence of what you just said. I said both I got, I got doll, doll man and and <laughs> that's right. You weren't paying attention. Dollman yeah, and demonic toys were both written by David S. Goya. Uh, I'm not, no, I'm not sure about. Well, he definitely did demonic toys. I don't know about Dollman. I'm I'm pretty sure. All right, pause the show. Let's have a look. No, you're right. It was Arcade, the other Charles Band production that Albert Pune had uh, directed. Yeah. One of my favourite Full Moon productions. That was always the surprising thing about David S. Goyer's career was that suddenly he was he was the man doing you know Marvel movies when he got his start writing, not absolute shit, but in comparison, <laughs> absolute shit. Totally. Like, he's the because he was in wasn't he kind of in charge with the um 
of the Marvel Universe at one point before anyone gave a shit about the Marvel Universe. Yeah, no, he was he's like, DC, I think, like with the Batman stuff. Oh, was he? I oh, know because he, he did Blade and all that sort of stuff. That's yeah, Marvel. He's, he's dabbled in both, mate. Yeah, I just because before Kevin Feige, before all of that, uh, before it got bought by Disney and they, you know, turned it into something when it was when people still looked at comics as, as, uh, you know, things for retards. They, uh, that's when David S. Goya was, uh, <laughs> was doing them. Oh, dearie. Well, I, I kind of wish that I'd stuck with the, um, the full moon theme for, for my next recommendation, but I did, uh, did try to find something a bit more contemporary and I found a brand new movie, um, because every Halloween I like to look for something new that I haven't seen. And, and this one will be coming to streaming in Australia very soon, but I want everybody to make a note of it. It is called Benny Loves You. And my God, this is best described as like Chucky, as if he was playing Tickle Me Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> because this Benny character is very much Tickle Me Elmo, the way it talks, the way it looks. And um, they've. I'll, I'll go through the synopsis. Um, it's about this stuffed little toy that becomes insanely jealous when, when, and psychotic when his owner of 35 years throws him away. And so, so Benny turns into a psycho killer and then just starts killing everybody that gets in the way of his relationship with his owner, whose name is Jack. Um, and Jack has never lived out, of his home, lived out of home before. Like, he's always been with his parents. And both of his parents die simultaneously, like, in freak accidents. So one accident then trips the other accident, and they both die. And so this guy's left to fend for himself, and Benny's the only thing he has that he knows for comfort. But then, of course, you know, a girl comes onto the scene, and Benny just goes absolutely berserk and, and the bodies just start piling up and it is really gratuitously violent and really gruesome. Um, but it's fucking hilarious too. And the, the effects are amazing. Um, and, and the vocabulary on Benny, when I was talking about the, um, tickle me ammo, it's always, it's only got like three lines, I think, but they're repeated over and over. So it's like, you know, Benny loves you <laughs> and it's Benny. Play with Benny. And they use each of those in the best ways possible. Like they find the moments and it's just fantastic. And when the killing starts, I guess you could sort of um, compare it to maybe Shaun of the Dead, throwing a bit of gremlins. Um, little, Actually, there's a lot of Peter Jackson's brain dead in there as well. The feel of the film is very much like that. So, yeah, everyone um, get behind it. Benny loves you. It's awesome. It's got a fantastic poster. And um, I just, yeah, it is coming to streaming. I just don't know what date, but oh, get on it. Get on it. It sounds, it almost sounds, it sounds very similar to the plot of Monkey Shines, except a toy instead of a monkey. It pretty much is. It pretty much is. Yeah. And like, cause it, it comes at a time, like you mentioned before, the Banana Splits movie, Will, you know, was it Willy's Wonderland? And I think we've got that, um, that game that's was Freddy's Fright Nights or whatever it's called. I can't remember the name. Squid Game? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, moving on. How, how overrated is that i look i i tried to watch the first episode today but i was i kind of had it on the background and i was like oh subtitled i actually really need to pay attention to this so i don't uh, i got up to the part where he's just uh he's playing some that weird game in the subway with the guy and he, he gets a slap every time he loses like it's actually pretty funny mm. <laughs> Well, yeah, if it goes on from there, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there are there are there are um, recommendations, and given that Chloe is uh, not exactly a horror fan, um, although she is starting to appreciate them, I'm, I'm picking up on that. Um, this will be interesting to see how she approaches today's theme. 
Hello, hello, and happy Monday, friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls, and this week, my segment can be summed up in all of one word, agoraphobia, or, you know, the excessive fear of clowns. Now, in my opinion, there's no such thing as an excessive fear of clowns because those things are creepy as fuck. <laughs> they are made from nightmares, and I absolutely refuse to believe that people have ever found them funny. Because when you think about it, no clown toy or clown personality or human acting as a clown has ever been known to be a stable, well-adjusted person. Think about it, really. Jigsaw. The tricycle-riding toddler from hell who was rude enough to make Cariel's cut off his own foot. Not forgivable. It, and as much as I love Stephen King, that's a big fat note for me. And uh, what about Ronald McDonald? No, nobody sane would associate with a giant purple lump. A burglar who specifies in stealing hamburgers and a weird yellow bird. No, those painted white faces, massive red lips and crazy black eyebrows are something to be feared. And come to think of it, my fear of the Kardashians are now starting to make a whole lot of sense. Hmm. <laughs> In fact, the creepy individual that is responsible for the white-faced red-lipped nightmare image is an actual human called Deborah, a creepy-ass man who lived in Paris in the late 1800s who literally killed a boy in the street by beating him with his walking stick because he insulted his performance. I mean, come to think of it, I only know one person personally who has ever had toy clowns in their room as a child, as actual toys, <laughs> and they still own them today. They, like, own clowns as a fully functioning, contributes to society kind of adult. And as much as I value their friendship, I really had to seriously reconsider the day I found that out. You know, the late night Snapchats when they go home for the weekend of close-ups of their creepy ass faces is not something I appreciate either. Any normal human being knows that those clowns secretly come to life in the middle of the night and carry out the work of the devil. So, you know, it's only a matter of time. And look, I get it. Killer dolls, yeah, they're scary. Puppets that come to life to torture, very scary. Any so-called child's toy that comes to life and terrorizes and murders people is bound to scare the shit out of some folk. But nothing, nothing compares to a horrible painted face of a clown. <laughs> Even the word makes my butthole clench. Ooh, they absolutely win the competition for scariest killer toy for sure. And that's my aggressively opinionated thoughts this week and I'm sticking to it. Have a happy Monday, friends. Yeah, so like I said, it was, it's bloody hard for someone like Chloe to contribute to a theme like this because uh, she's not into horror. So um, well done to her for just facing her fears. Uh, clowns are very scary. <laughs> Let's round off this whole Demonic Toys uh, saga, mate. Enlighten us with your final recommendation. Well, I did at the start of the show, I did say I was going to be talking about two and a half movies because the third yeah. one, and it should be pretty obvious, is Dollman vs. Demonic Toys. <laughs> which uh, does cap off the uh, the two films that I talked about previously. The reason I say it's half a movie is because the runtime is a cool 64 minutes. <laughs> now, if that's not the perfect running time for a film, I don't know what is. Uh, the, the main stars from the first two, from the, from the first two films uh, do uh, return, Tim Thomason and Tracy Scoggins. But along for the ride is also Melissa Bear, who is uh, Nurse Ginger from Bad Channels. And in Bad Channels, another full moon movie this alien scientist guy like shrinks these women and puts them into these test tubes and at the end of the movie two of them are returned back to normal size one is not there is a bit of a goof because in the actual movie it's ginger is actually restored 
to full size and it's bunny who is left miniature but uh let's not i'm assuming there was some kind of issue with the actress not wanting to come back so uh, melissa bear got the part so of course the whole movie starts with uh with tim thomason traveling across country because i think in in doll man i'm pretty sure he's in new york i think he's, he's in the bronx or something and uh uh melissa bear is in this small midwest town with a with, now i can't remember the name it's a really weird name Bahuda or something like that is the name of the town and so it's it's the beginning of the movie is Dole Man hitchhiking across the United States trying to tiny trying to tiny tiny Dole Man tiny tiny six inch uh uh Tim Thomas and trying to hook up because he wants to because he's he's heard about tiny nurse ginger and he's looking for some fun he's looking for some action so he hitchhikes across America to meet him. and of course she's uh incredibly excited to uh meet up with someone her own size and of course and they do a get it on uh but then uh tracy scoggins also hears about uh both of them and enlists their aid in once again returning to the toy factory <laughs> and taking on the demonic toys who this time there is no demonic master in this one or somehow it's He's equipped um, baby Oopsie with reproductive uh, powers. Who is gonna Who is gonna take his place and have sex with Tracy Scoggins and uh, <laughs> inseminate the baby with the, the the soul of the demon or something like that? It's pretty, but of course, you know, he doesn't count on uh, <laughs> Dole Man and his kick-ass gun. And there's so there's there's quite a few scenes of uh, because Doll Man is the same size as the toys. They've got guys dressed up in the doll costumes. There is actually a like a small soldiers esque army man mm-hmm. in this one who he fights, and he does you know he blows <laughs> he blows a couple of the toys away. The clown the clown Jack in the Box returns, the um, and Baby Oopsie of course, and the robot. They're all in it. All your favorites are, are back. It is a lot of fun. And as I said, and of course, and I was going to say, the, the fat security guard in this one is actually Phil Fondacaro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's great. But he ends up becoming a minion of the uh, of the demon. It's actually pretty cool. But um, yeah, it's an interesting movie. But it does, like I said, it does only go for 64 minutes. So definitely worthwhile just tacking that on to the end of your uh, uh, Dole Man Demonic Toys. But you probably should, just to round it out, watch Bad Channels just to get the full backstory. Well, I was going to I was going to say that. Like firstly, like people can't see this, so they can't see that I have had a grin on my face like from ear to ear the whole time this episode makes me so happy. Um <laughs> I would love to come back and do a, a full moon episode. We should get Charles Band on the show. We should try to anyway. But yeah, of course, after after Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys, there was that. And then there was Demonic Toys 2 and there's a new Oopsie Baby movie which has just come out. And there is there's demonic toys. You had bad channels. You had hideous. You had evil bong. These are all kind of loosely connected. But I think there's yeah there's another there's um there's demonic toys um demonic toys personal demons. I think that's a relatively recent addition. But that has zero. Con- no one returns. That I don't think it has any connection to the other two, ex- other than the name and the concept. I was very very happy though when Puppet Master did cross over with uh, demonic toys. That was good to see the two <laughs> two doll yeah. lines. Going head to head. So like I remember when it came out, and I was like, "Oh shit, who, like, who is the genius behind all this?" Like I, at the time, I had no idea about things like that they were full moon. Yeah, movies that were all made by the same studio. I was just like, oh, 
there must be the same the same person must have made all these. Like I thought it's ingenious. And of course, uh, Monster Fest played the latest um, Puppet Master film, which was written by Craig S. Zala, which has one of the most outrageous moments in movie history. <laughs> it certainly does. It's got a couple of them. It's, that's a fantastic film, uh, Puppet Master, Little Is Reich. Uh, and it's, and also the cast. And I believe that one was made outside of Full Moon, just with Full Moon's consent. Uh, yeah, I think he was a producer on it. Charles Band was a producer on, on the film. Uh, we tried to get him for the extras, but uh, we were told, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> well, I encourage everybody to at least get onto Tubi or Amazon Prime to explore the Full Moon catalogue because um, oh, it's just so wonderful. And, yeah, their streaming platform is fullmoonpictures.com. I, I signed up to that and I was not disappointed. They have a lot of ex- exclusive um, bonus content. That's the benefit of the streaming platform. But um, no matter like no matter how shady a reputation Charles Band had, I love him, and like I've, I've said before, his his movies mean a lot to me. Like, as far as like you know, informing my my love of horror, and he's had so many companies over the years, like from Empire Pictures, Empire International Pictures, and Pulp Fantasy and Alchemy Entertainment. Like he's he's done a lot. He has Moonbeam Entertainment too, which produces kids movies. Yeah, he's 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 a Roger Corman type. So let's reel off a few titles. Uh, Trances we spoke about, Subspecies, which is like the vampire series he did. Ghoulies, of course. Dr. Mordred, I love. That's the one where they couldn't get the the rights to Dr. Strange, so they just made Dr. Mordred. <laughs> who, funnily enough, who is a character. He's like, a, there's a Marvel comic there's about Dr. Mordred as well, which is super weird. Well, I love I love that Dr. Mordred with Jeffrey Combs. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs, yeah. Robot Jocks, Dragon World, Prehysteria. I'm sure you love Prehysteria. Killjoy, Eliminators. Yeah, I've got, I've got most of them on VHS, funnily enough. And and oddly enough, um, three of my all-time favourite B-movie directors have all worked for Charles Band. So obviously we've talked about Albert making Dollman Arcade and Vicious Lips was a Charles Band production. Jeff Burr did um, Puppet Master 4 and 5. He also did Phantom Town and Johnny Misto. And of course, Stuart Gordon made Pit and the Pendulum and Castle Freak, Dolls and Robot Jocks. Robot Jocks, what a classic. Not to mention, Band was also connected to Reanimator. Like, he was a producer, and his dad and his brother were producers on all that. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, like, he's like Roger Corman. It's, you know, but it's, it is like that Roger Corman kind of thing where, you know, you make one or two pictures for me and they do well. You never have to work for me again. <laughs> and that's very much the Charles Band Academy of Filmmaking. Well, do you know the story about um, Charles Band taking arcade away from Albert Pune. So there is another entire cut of that movie out there that exists that's never been released, and it's the Albert Pune cut because um, the entire computer effects were removed and replaced. Oh, right. And that's a movie that takes place entirely in, like, Cyberworld. It's like the full moon version of Tron. It's Tron, yeah. With Seth, with Seth Green. <laughs> and I think Norbert Wise is in there. <laughs> yeah, it would have to be, surely. Anyway. It's a rule, isn't it? Not the the lack of Norbert Weiser in these three films I talked about is the is the biggest disappointment. <laughs> well, enough talking from us. Let's um let's hear from Adam Ross, the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association, with a, a killer recommendation. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing killer toys or toys that kill. And going a little bit left of centre, I'm probably going to throw in the most family-friendly movie of the bunch, or is it Small Soldiers? Now, this movie has got the distinction of being made by Joe Dante, and that name should ring a bell for any serious movie geek because this is the guy that gave us Gremlins, and it's batshit crazy sequel 
Gremlins 2, the new batch, which, you know, I always think that Dante is a very fascinating filmmaker because he's highly inventive and he's got this great sense of adventure and he's willing to throw weird stuff out there and just kind of see what sticks. So a Dante joint is always idiosyncratic in my mind. This Small Soldiers has, once again, it's got this distinction of looking like a Happy Meal movie. It looks like something that was made to sell toys, um, but because of Joe Dante's spirit in the center of it, there's a darkness to this film that's kind of strange. And I've always been fascinated by movies that have got a bit of like, you know, a behind the scenes turmoil going on and that you can see it. You go, okay, there was a movie that they shot, there's a different movie they tried to edit, and then there's the movie that we kind of get here on release. And Small Soldiers is definitely one of those movies where you can see that things had changed. Dante was making a dark movie here. Um, the plot itself is, <laughs> is preposterous, I guess, but basically toy developers decide to take a bit of a shortcut and throw in a microprocessor that is not too dissimilar to Skynet and throw it into toys. And so as you can imagine, if a toy becomes self-aware or is militarized, there are going to be major problems. And so it sounds like, you know, like kind of a light, fluffy adventure in a way, but Dante allows the soldiers here to take this deadly serious. And one of the most enduring, you know, elements of this movie is its voice cast. And basically, it's Tommy Lee Jones here as a leader. And has anyone had a more authoritative, militarized voice than Tommy Lee Jones? You know, maybe R. Lee Emery. But here as the leader of the commando elite, Chip Hazard, he's kind of low-key terrifying um, and he's not going to give up. And so he decides that he's going to go basically after this kid, Alan, who is giving refuge to one of the mortal enemies of the commando elite and that allows Dante to put kids in peril in a way that is as I like referred to before it's kind of hyper violent and disturbing so there's a bunch of sequences in this where you go yeah this was to sell happy meals but now this kid is going to be like absolutely traumatized this movie has got a personal distinction for me because I went on a family holiday to tropical paradise and when I arrived there they had in-house movies that were free and one of those movies in 1998 was Small Soldiers. And I watched this, honest to God, like 10 times. I didn't go scuba diving. I didn't go snorkeling. I didn't go kite surfing. I just watched Small Soldiers <laughs> almost every day. And it really pissed my parents off. So if you're after like, you know, a, like an interesting movie that might have slipped out of your radar that is made by an iconic serious filmmaker like Joe Dante, go back and check out Small Soldiers. It's got an incredible like human cast too as well here. It's got the distinction of being the last film that um, Phil Hartman was ever into as well. So Kirsten Dunst is in here as well. David Cross is really memorable in this. But yeah, so I mean, it's just like a really inventive, strange, cool movie that probably, you know, deserves to be revisited. I think that, you know, it's sitting at a fairly rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes, but I always thought, you know, like it had this incredible amalgamation as well of puppet work, some done by Stan Winston, and you know, and see, and for the time, some really good CGI work. So if you're after, yeah, like a, a cool family movie that's kind of got the fringes of being something a bit more sinister, check out Joe Dante's Small Soldiers. Highly recommend. Well, there you go. Not not quite a killer recommendation, but um, you can't go wrong with Small Soldiers. Arguably, I think Joe Dante's last great movie. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, probably. I really miss that guy as a director. Like he's made other movies, like The Hole and Barry and the X, and even the Looney Tunes thing. But um, they're, and they're good, but yeah, none of them have got that Joe Dante thing about them. Yeah, none of them are, are like they're not what you think about when you think of Joe Dante movies. They don't really kind of enter into the conversation. Yeah, where Small Soldiers feels like, even though it was a '90s film, it feels like it could have come from the '80s, you know. But um, yeah. 
Anyway, uh, you can find Adam on his Facebook page, Adam's Just Seen, and you can listen to him on Triple M. So thank you very much to Adam. And that's, that's about it. We're, um, we're, we're running towards the end of the show. wanted to maybe run off some notable mentions for you, Ben, and feel free to weigh in with your own or you know, stop to talk about any of these. But Magic from 1978 with Anthony Hopkins and Anne Margaret, which was directed by Richard Attenborough, that's a fantastic movie. That always freaked me out. Freaked me out, that one. How good is it? Like that is like I, I watched that probably two years ago, and having had seen it as a kid, not really remembering much about it. And um, man, it blew me away. It's a really strong psychological film, and I think it might even be one of my favourite Richard Attenborough directed movies. Yeah, right. I remember seeing it on late night TV and just thinking it was really creepy. But I never really liked ventriloquist dummies anyway. That <laughs> really, it didn't help. Of course, um, Child's Play goes without saying, and um, you know. Back to Charles Band, the Puppet Master movies are wonderful, and the Jeff Burr ones in particular. And then there's always that movie that I reference every Christmas without fail, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5. Yeah. <laughs> the Toy Maker. Toy Mickey Mate. Rooney. Yeah. And oh. perfectly cast. Perfectly cast. I cannot get enough of that movie. Uh, did, you, did we talk about uh, Dolly Dearest? And, Not yet. Uh, That's great. Is that on there? Is that on your list? I really like Dolly Dearest. That's um, you know, that really was unfairly judged. I think. Mm. Like it's funny. Like it seems to be the concept of of of. There's an episode of Goosebumps and an episode of Eerie Indiana that are basically Dolly Dearest. <laughs> You're like, eh. it was so maligned. Why is everyone ripping it off? I must admit, I, I really did like the um, the reboot of Child's Play. I've spoken about that on the show before. I think that's a really clever way to redo a story in a different way. Um, yeah. I enjoyed that aspect of it. And I did like um, The Boy, the, the movie that was made a few years ago. Mm. Um, and the whole Annabelle series now. Of course, of course. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, this was a this was a particularly uh, fun episode for me. I'm dead set about doing a full moon show, man. We've got, we've got to come back to this. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about lots. There's, there's so much to. I remember when I was at, last time I was at um, uh, a convention in the US. Somebody had the full moon. I think it was the Puppet Master, like toy box, the toy chest mm. thing that has like 28 Blu-rays in it or something like that. Like there's certainly enough full moon content that we could do. Like seeing as we only have talk about even in, even in our prime, we only really talked about six films each. That's not enough to cover the full moon catalogue. No, we, we won't do like um we won't do like numbered recommendations. We'll just run through full moon and just talk, have a have a free flowing conversation. I think because uh, I mean you guys right back to tourist trap and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of good stuff. Like you know we're talking about hokey movies here, but there's some quality ones going back. Yeah, they all start they all start off pretty good, and then they realize <laughs> they make the cuts where they can. Less uh, money on this, then we'd make more money. Shit, well, to everybody listening, thank you for listening. Um, if you want more of this show, go to goodmoviemonday.com and you can find all of our previous episodes, numerous videos that we put up every single week and lots more, including prizes and, and the prize we mentioned before. Don't forget about that. Get onto it. Uh, don't forget to join us on social media. Drop a comment onto our Facebook, YouTube or Instagram pages. Uh, big special thanks to Lawrence Fowler for the chat. Jack in the Box is now out on DVD thanks to Eagle Entertainment. Track it down. Thanks to Jarrett, Guillermo, Chloe, Adam, Joe, Chad, and James. And the show wouldn't be the same without them. Same goes to you, mate. Um, thank you very much. Hope you had fun. I did indeed. I always love uh, watching movies about toys. Uh, I was disappointed I couldn't find one where a possessed sex toy uh, 
kills people, but uh, you know, maybe maybe somebody will take that idea and run with it. So Charles Band goes and does like Ginger Dead Man and Evil Bong, but he has not done a killer dildo. Yeah. Like killer condom is as close as we've come. <laughs> Quite literally. Or maybe sausage fest. <laughs> well, once again, dude, we've um we've got the licks here, mate. We need to just put this stuff down and sell it. Yeah. That's it. Write a treatment. <laughs> well, we're gonna leave you with um Thunderkiss 65 by White Zombie, which has been in dozens of movies, including Wild Hogs, Ben. Tim Allen classic Wild Hogs. <laughs> Straight from the Bride of Chucky soundtrack. And we'll see you next week. Our guest is going to be Guy Pierce. That's going to be a fun one. Have a good one, everyone. See ya. Bye-bye. Try me.